Next on MLR Weekly, New York has a coaching change. CEO of the Tel Aviv Heat, Devin O'Brien of the stellar Memphis Inner City Rugby Program. And the mysterious rugby ball and heart-tugging 9-11 story of Manhattan Rugby's Nick Rowe. Rugby wrap-up brought to you in part by Sheehy Auto Stores. It's easy at Sheehy. The Pig and Whistle, the world's best rugby pub. And Lean and Limber, stretching your way to a healthier lifestyle. Hello again, and welcome to this week's MLR Weekly as presented by Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy in New York City, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you for your support, and we hope you'll enjoy this show. It should be a good one. We've got an international flavor. We've got a grassroots flavor. we got some MLR stuff. It all falls under the MLR umbrella, too. So let's get to it. First up, out of New York, uh, Rugby New York camp, the champions of Major League Rugby, they have a coaching change. They came out with an announcement. Not much there uh, in terms of detail, but Marty Veal is no longer going to be coaching the franchise, and they have stuff in the works to announce at a later date. That's all we have on that right now. We've also got an international flavor in this week's show, including Mr. Pete Sickle, the CEO of the Tel Aviv Heat. Then back home on American soil, we have a truly American story. Thanks to Michelle Schram. She tells the story of a rugby ball, a fallen Manhattan rugby player, Nick Lowe, and the mystery surrounding that. And then finally, we have a grassroots story, a stellar one that makes all of these uh, fancy pants professional rugby leagues possible by producing young players. And right here on American soil, there's nobody better at it than Memphis inner city rugby. And we have Devin O'Brien to talk about things. But before we get started with the show, I have to give a shout out to the Ravenwood High School Raptors, the Tennessee State Champions, not just in 15s, but also in 7s, coached by first-year coach Daniel Utah Griff. Unbelievable accomplishment what they've gotten with this program. What a turnaround. They were in the top 25 last season, number 23 to be specific, and they went 11-0 and on the season, taking on all comers and knocking them off. Check out the Goff Report for more on the Ravenwood Raptors Young Men's High School Program. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have the pleasure of welcoming in not a Major League Rugby team CEO, but a professional team CEO from overseas, the Tel Aviv Heat, none other than CEO, Mr. Pete Sickle. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Love to be here. Pete, I got to get this out of the way right out of the gate. And our mutual friend, Julian Radley, told me I should not ask this question, which means I'm going to ask the you question. You have to, yeah. Um, do people call you Pop or Ice Sickle? It's happened. There's there's a motor in there sometimes. Motor Sickle? Yeah. Yeah, no, it goes on and on. For for people that watch this program, MLR Weekly, uh, it was yep. intriguing for me to talk to you guys because you're in a professional setup in Europe. It's only yep. your second season. Last year was your kickoff season, your inaugural season. Um, and here you are right in the midst, mid middle of professional rugby. Tell us about the Tel Aviv Heat. Tell us about the origin and what the plan is. We, we are getting links more and more with MLR teams. So we've had a few players in season one 
We had Peter Janssen from the Free Jacks. We had Niall Saunders from, from Utah come play with us. Um, this year, Niall's coming back. Peter's not. But um, Yuri Van Vuren is coming. So there, there's a lot of interest from MLR because our schedules don't overlap whatsoever. So uh, I, I, I see a lot of uh, collaboration with MLR teams over the, over the coming years. But yeah, a year and a half ago, we were a PowerPoint presentation. Um, Rugby Europe under the direction of World Rugby, sort of said, hey, we got to do more to develop the game in tier two countries. Um, you know, Russia, Romania, Georgia, Spain, Portugal, and so on. Uh, so they started a competition called the Rugby Europe Super Cup, and they had an eighth wildcard slot, and they put out a proposal. Uh, do you want to join this new competition? And Israel at the time was ranked 60th in the world, and we said, what the hell? We'll, we'll throw our hat in the ring and see what happens. Even if we don't get a bid, we'll learn from the process and somewhere down the road when they expand, we'll be better off. And March of last year, they said, you're in. We said, when? They said, now. Season one kicks off in September. So we had to go from a vision to right into fundraising reality, pick a name, pick a logo, start recruiting players, because there really were only a handful of players in Israel who can kind of play at this at, at European tier two level. Um, so we, you know, we brought in players from South Africa, from Fiji uh, and some of the players that, that I was mentioning from, from MLR. So in a way, um, you know, Israel doesn't have a, a rich rugby tradition, which meant we were building it from scratch. It was really uh, an open slate where we could be, as creative and entrepreneurial as as we were capable of being. So, yeah, COVID was around last year. We ended up kicking off our first game that in thing, Georgia. That thing called COVID that just yeah. complicated your PowerPoint presentation by that that was yeah that kept us on our toes. But uh, we came out swinging. We had the full team together in Georgia about three four days before our first game. And we didn't win, but we played respectably. I just wanted to make sure that everybody yes. that was the country, country of Georgia. Georgia with those yeah. great front row players. They are amazing. They're amazing athletes. I, I do want to take the opportunity to say Georgia Rugby are amazing hosts as well. They've been fantastic partners. They know how important it is uh, to grow the game for their opportunities. And they're taking the responsibility to turn around and, and take people like, you know, the Tel Aviv Heat and Rugby Israel and helping us grow. So I, I really want to give them credit. Game oh, two, we were in Moscow and we beat the Russian national champions. That put us on the map. And that uh, really opened up a lot of eyes. Um, wait a minute. How, how, when did you guys start? How did you get here? Long-term vision is, you know, we want to be on par with with all of these uh, tier two nations. And someday, you know, there's a repechage coming up in November in Dubai. Uh, our vision is somewhere down the road, Israel will be at that level, vying for spots in World Cups and in sevens, vying for spots in the Olympics. It's not going to be Why easy. not? You know, everybody, everybody said Japan was crazy when, you know, the World Cup. And look at them now. They're the perfect model for this. Yeah. So we, we've got a lot of work to do. You know, we're, we're starting at kind of top down on high performance and elite level, but we've got lots of plans, you know, to build grassroots rugby in Israel, to start a, a year-round academy. Um, we have partners now in Royal Caribbean uh, as a worldwide brand. We're looking to, to 
take the Tel Aviv heat, not only in the Super Cup, but, uh, you know, events elsewhere in, the, in in North America and in Europe. We did a tour to South Africa in March. So, yeah, we're trying to play as much rugby as possible and, and get people to to be out and loving the Tel Aviv heat. And then last month we were in rugby town and played sevens for the first time. And we built a whole new fan base there in Colorado of people who showed up and hadn't heard of us by the end of the tournament. We finished six out of 20 teams and, you know, getting messages. Oh, we love you guys. It was great watching you. And, you know, someone like uh, uh, Naka Kinikini Lao uh, making the dream team and had played for the Heat all of four or five days. Yeah. Um, these guys, you know, joined up wherever you're from. You're welcome. We have kind of that barbarian ethos to you wherever you're from doesn't matter come play great rugby and enjoy it so how would you rate the level of competition yeah there are aspirations for the rugby europe super cup to be um a a a fourth professional league in europe alongside the urc premiership and top 14 that would vie for spots in those epcr competitions there used to be a, a third competition the continental shield Uh, that EPCR ran up until a couple of years ago. We're hoping that comes back in. Um, But at the moment, no, we, we, we can't, uh, we, we don't qualify for slots there. Um, But yeah, I would say, uh, you know, in Europe, uh, the top teams in the super cup would, would definitely be able to play in the, the challenge cup. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about some other things about the Tel Aviv heat right after this. Selling or trading in your vehicle? Sheehy makes it easy. With Easy Trade, start online or visit us in store. We want your vehicle, and we'll give you up to 125% of KBB value. It's easy at Sheehy. Sheehy.com. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street. And we are back with the CEO of the Tel Aviv Heat, Mr. Pete Sickle. Pete, you're the Tel Aviv Heat. Did you get any grief from the Miami Heat and Pat Riley? Uh, their lawyers haven't uh, sent us any letters just yet, but uh, yeah, no problem so far. Well, you might have a hard time finding a lawyer. There's no Jewish lawyers out there, right? Never met one. Never met one. Anyway, that's a good thing to have on your side. Tell me about your staff. I know your head coach is also your director of rugby, Evan Music hand? Yeah, Kevin um, has been coaching the Israeli national teams, both 15s and 7s, for the last five years and was instrumental in putting together our successful bid to get into the Rugby Europe Super Cup. So this is really a lot of Kevin's, not only his vision, but hard work in, in kind of translating that vision into a reality. Kevin's been coaching for over 20 years, has had a lot of success in South Africa where he grew up. Um, and then uh, emigrated to, to Israel five years ago. Um, incredible coach, incredible, uh, you know, relationship with the players. Um, and we've been able to, through Kevin and our assistant coach, Dimitri Kachakilis, have been able to really attract a very high level um, roster of players. So we have guys who, you know, are going to be playing in the World Cup next year in France. We have guys who have played for the Fijian gold medal winning Olympic sevens team in Rio. We have spring, uh, you know, spring box on some our of team. Your back row players are the Fijians, right? The, exactly. Boys. And so, um, 
you know, again, uh, do you want to come play pro rugby in Israel was not an obvious recruiting tool, but because of Kevin and Dimitri and some others and those personal connections, guys understood that this was, you know, a team that was going to be not only interesting rugby to play on the field, um, but again, as I mentioned, we we have this ethos of play hard, hard, fast, skilled rugby, but, you know, it's time to also enjoy life. So a, a lot of these pro rugby uh, environments are, are stressing guys out in a way that they aren't performing to the best of their levels. So we're very happy that, you know, guys who played with us first year, Gabriela Batoya went on to sign a contract with Bristol Bears. Uh, Carl Smith, great young uh, back row forward, signed with the Lions in, in South Africa. We have guys now playing in France and, and Japan. Well, you've got that double-edged sword that the launch pad thing is for your organization in that you're losing players, but you're gaining visibility simultaneously, right? Look, honestly, a year and a half ago, we didn't know who'd sign on to play with us. Uh, it was a huge leap of faith. And again, because of Kevin and Dimitri and others who had those personal connections, guys took the leap. Once they did, I mean, we have a waiting list of something like 200 players uh, who are they're, they're self-recruiting now. They're 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 trying to figure out how do I come play with the Tel Aviv Heat because they've heard from the guys who have played, guys who have played in the Premiership and Top 14 and in the World Cup and in the Olympics are saying what a pleasure, what a great opportunity it is to to be with the Heat. When will we see the day when we have the MLR champion? facing off the champion Tel Aviv Heat. We are talking about an event in January uh, as a, as an MLR preseason set of friendlies. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail because it's still in the works. Um, but um, New York City, baby. Come on over. Come on over. You're a kid from we're, L.A., right? We're, we're thinking of someplace maybe a little warmer in January. Oh, come we're we're going to meet in a neutral neutral spot. But, yeah, no, to have a, a, a kind Too of – Too cold for the heat will be the headlines on the New York Post and Daily News. No, what we want to do is basically create the equivalent of, of Major League Baseball spring training tradition. And let's let's meet someplace warm every January, and the Tel Aviv Heat will bring other teams from Europe or maybe from, right. from South Africa and so on. So All right. my, we're trying my to final, do just that. Sorry, my final question for you is, uh, how does a kid from L.A. end up being the CEO of the Tel Aviv Heat? <laughs> uh, luck was, was a huge part of it. No, I married an Israeli and have been living in Tel Aviv for the last uh, 15 years. Um, but was back and forth coaching. I mean, he was coaching at Dartmouth and at Harvard Business School for a bit. Um, and so I was kind of in the right place at the right time. When when this bid got accepted to Rugby Europe Super Cup, uh, I was an assistant coach with Kevin on the national team. And then they just sort of kicked me over to the front office and said, you know, someone's got to do the, the dirty work. So here we are. Well, it's exciting. And where people can go to TelAvivHeat.com? TelAvivHeat.com. And we kick off on Saturday against the Romanian Wolves. Um, it's going to be a great match. It's just great to have more growth of our favorite game, and especially game. in that beautiful part of the world. So best wow. of luck to you, my friend. And, I, and there's a slight chance we may see each other at the end of the month in London. We'll, we'll, we're, we're still trying to figure that one out. But uh, I, Yeah, I would love to announce that now, but uh, stay tuned for October 30th. All right, fair enough. We'll have you back on for, for any, any announcements. Mr. Pete Sickle, CEO Thank of you. the Tel Aviv Heat. 
Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. Been blind since I was four. And I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste. And my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. It has the taste and the flavor. What do you think is on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. We're back with Michelle Schramm. All right. So, Michelle, very briefly, uh, you were dating a guy named Nick Rowe, a Manhattan rugby player that we lost during 9-11. We lost a lot of folks in the rugby community. We lost uh, Wall Street types. We lost firemen. We lost cops. We lost family members. And uh, it, it was it was a tough, tough time for all of us. It still is. And But we're on the anniversary of it. And this is kind of a cool story. Mm -hmm. And you started dating because the legend that is Dennis Devine of Grapevine, Texas, who moved up here to the New York area and took on <laughs> the rugby world by on. He put the set the rugby world on fire here in the tri-state area. He and his uh, then girlfriend thought you should meet Nick. Right. Yes. And they kind of had a dinner party thing where it wasn't just a blind date, but you guys were meeting for the first time. Yes, correct. I was living in Florida at the time in grad school. Obviously, they're in New York and they were Manhattan Rugby Club, I think, was doing a booze cruise around Manhattan for Halloween, like costume party. And so um, I was free. And so I came up for that weekend and um, we were supposed to we were going to dress like Charlie's Angels, my Dennis's girlfriend, myself and somebody else. And um, then one of the girls got sick. So we dressed Dennis up and then we went to the party. And that's wait, 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 wait. One of the girls got sick and you dressed Dennis up? Yes, we did. As one of the <laughs> angels? As one of the angels. So that's that. Uh, we, that is fabulous. Okay. And then I met Nick again at the party. And the started dating. And you were, it was yeah. a little, kind of a long distance thing because you were going back and forth to Florida. Yes, I was in Florida. So we kind of flew back and forth to see each other. Yeah. The thing that, that we're here to talk about, though, um, is that somebody missed Nick like we all missed everybody and put a ball, a rugby ball mm -hmm. with his name on it and a message to him. Like everybody was putting photos around looking for people and everything else. Yeah. And this was in union square, right? Yeah. Someone left a rugby ball. Yes. And we, we still to this day don't know who left that message and that ball. No, we don't. We asked around, I think, I forget when we became aware of it back then. Um, and we asked around, you know, to the team, but no one ever said they did it. So we never knew. So then, you know, life just goes on. And then the museum, I guess, became, became part of their, I think they got a hold of a whole bunch of artifacts from that time where people had left. And so they reached out to me. And which museum was this? The Memorial Museum, the 9-11 Museum. All right. So and now, you know, we're trying to help them and track down, do some detective work, if you will, in, in behalf <laughs> on behalf of Nick to find out 
who this person or persons were that left the ball. Yes. So I reached back out to Dennis. We hadn't been in touch for a very long time and social media found him. And then he kind of asked around again to everybody, sent some emails and still nobody's claiming that they did it. Well, it was a very cool thing. And we're going to try to get to the bottom of it and maybe connect the dots, so to speak, for for Nick. Uh, What can you tell us about Nick in terms of where he was from, what he was like? Uh, He was from South Africa. He had moved over here, I think, kind of to escape the violence of South Africa and moved here. Um, Worked for a voice recognition company, Jersey City, owned his apartment in Hoboken. Just he's a great guy. Everyone loved him. And he wasn't working in the Wall Street area. He was working in Jersey City, but he had to go to Windows on the World for a presentation on 9-11. Yes. So his family didn't know that he was there. Right. Later in the day. Ugh, 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 ugh. And I, I actually played against him. Uh, with the New York Rugby Club against Manhattan. And, and then Manhattan became part of the New York Rugby Club. They don't want to admit that, though. None of those guys <laughs> want to admit it. <laughs> no, I'm sure the, they don't. The green in the grass on our logo is a salute to the Manhattan Rugby Club. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you're not, but if you're not playing for Ireland, why do you have green in your jersey anyway? <laughs> I'm going to get my ass kicked for saying that. I was going to say, you'll probably yeah. get some backlash for yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, there are certain yeah certain players that will want to kick my ass for that. But hey, what are you going to do? And, but anyway, who can we contact if we have any info about the ball? I mean, I guess Dennis Devine. I mean, you know, we're in touch, and I've spoken with the people, the curators at the museum, and gave them background of Nick and shared various emails that Dennis had sent me, just so they could get to know Nick as well um, about how he was perceived on the rugby club. And um, I think I do believe that the ball is going to be part of a new exhibit at the museum. All right. That's very, very cool. And you can also uh, send us information at info at rugby so that okay. Dennis doesn't have somebody take over his identity and steal his <laughs> hundreds of dollars and check in. Sure. <laughs> All right, Michelle, thank you very much for coming on. I know it's a tough, tough subject to talk about, but it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, no, it is. It is. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Rugby Now, delivering premier brands to players and coaches, our quality and heritage make for a winning presentation. Your orders are guaranteed same-day shipping. Drop by our online store and follow us for exclusive content. RugbyNow.com. And we are back with Mr. Devin O'Brien of Memphis Inner City Rugby. Devin, welcome to the show. Great to see you, Matt. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Well, you know, the pleasure is mine because you guys have done great work down there. You, Shane Young, and some guy named John Bradshaw Layfield, who uh, is on your board of directors and lends a a booming public voice, so to speak. But 10 years, a milestone of inner city rugby helping transform lives through rugby. You guys have done this, the improbable, the, the unimaginable. You have accomplished against great odds congratulations to you sir and what does it mean i appreciate you matt and um i think it means there's been a village behind us certainly if it's about anything it's not about us it's about 2500 kids that we've had the privilege of working with over the past decade uh millions of hours of service from volunteers and coaches folks like jbl that came on board and um 
kind of suplexed our organization uh, from a grassroots. I see what position. you did there. Suplex. <laughs> That's a wrestling I kind of thought term. about that one. Wrestling term, folks. Yeah. Wrestling term. Suplexed. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you know, kind of carried us from a grassroots initiative. Uh, a couple teachers that showed up in schools and encountered the institutional inequity that is a reality for millions of kids across the country that guys that look like me had never really experienced. Um, and grabbed the rugby ball, went to a public park and tried to fill in some gaps has since grown into uh, a national movement, international movement. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about the second annual urban rugby championships, bringing together leaders from the West coast, the East coast, the, the South and hundreds of kids from urban communities across the country for what's going to become, um, I think a hallmark of what's to come in American rugby, which is um, the futures in our communities, the futures in investing in kids that, don't get opportunities and when they take a man they run with him and they're the best kids in the world and so um it means it's been a privilege it's been a journey and uh means we have a lot of people to thank yeah we're turning 10 years old at graceland on october 20th uh for a lot of folks in memphis there's an opportunity to come there and then to be part of it we have nine tappers flying in um you know we have folks like jbl supporting from afar and um there's a lot of ways to get involved you know, and in that, that incredible decade started with what? A couple of thoughts with you guys saying, hey, let's do what and how are we going to do it, right? Shane and I moved to Memphis with Teach for America, saw that we had each played collegiate rugby, um, walked into schools where great kids after the bell walked into communities where there just weren't opportunities. There weren't supportive environments. There weren't um, a lot of the privileges that I was afforded. And so we figured, hey, we love the game of rugby. Oh, we got a couple balls in our car and there's a public park down the street. Let's, let's go and see if we can close the gap and uh, fell in love with kids, fell in love with the power of the sport as a context for character development, the values of the sport, uh, the community, the kinds of things that you learn on a pitch that you don't learn in a classroom in algebra two. Um, there's a lot of research nowadays about trauma informed coaching and social and emotional learning through the, through sport. Um, you know, we've had the privilege of working with the Center for Healing and Justice through sport funded by Nike national leaders in training coaches to use rugby and sport as a context for healing, um, for growing um, socially and emotionally. We came to Memphis on t uh, to be teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we fell backwards into it. And it's been the, the greatest, you know, blessing of my life. That's for sure. Um, fell so. backwards into it. That is a great, great way to phrase it. Well, the reason I wanted you to talk about this on the MLR Weekly show is because grassroots rugby is what we need in this United States of America that we live in to get this this these cliche of the sleeping giant to awaken. It starts with with the youth. It starts with the kids. And you guys have tapped into that. But, you know, more importantly, you've shown that, OK, academies can work. Your, organ your type of organization can work. You can help people across the inner cities get these things off the ground a lot easier than what you had to deal with in, in ways that you had to deal with. But also you've got these kids going to college. You've got scholarships, which really tugs at my strings. Tell me about that. I don't know. Life, Lindenwood, national champions uh, at the highest level of the country, All-Americans, MLR draft picks. Um you know, we've we've had the privilege of having some amazing kids uh, come up through the program. And I think what it speaks to um, is the untapped potential, the, the gaps, the, the kids that don't get a shot without intentional um, organizations that go in and create opportunities for them. Thirty four percent of kids in the country um, that grow up in families that earn less than twenty five thousand dollars play a team sport, you know. 
compared to 70% of those that earn uh, non-poverty wages in the country. So financial resources are a barrier to access. Um, you know, communities like the ones that we serve haven't had the privileges of having rugby programs. Um, and so um, there are great kids that take the program and run with it and go to the highest level in the country. About the event, about the celebration of the 10 years, people can actually buy tickets and come down to the gala, right? Or the, or the event at Graceland. How cool is that? And what else? So give me, give me the links and tell me where people can go and how, what, how they can contribute. Uh, it's all on our website, MemphisCenterCityRugby.org. You'll see a pop-up takes you to the page that has all the details about the event. If you want to purchase a ticket, it's all linked right there. Um, also silent auction. Um, we're calling on the rugby community for memorabilia, experiences, gift cards, uh, gift baskets, anything that you might be able to donate materially, a jersey, uh, you know, a steak dinner, something like that, that we can auction off in support of our kids. 100% of those profits go directly to funding our 10th year of service. And on that note, we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Say hello to Shane for me. Make sure you give JBL John Bradshaw Layfield a big guilt trip the next time you see him. And thank you to Pete Sickle of the Tel Aviv Heat. Thank you to Michelle Schramm on behalf of Nick Rowe. And thank you for tuning in. Please check out our other shows, including The Rugby Odds, The College Rugby Wrap-Up. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. And please, 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 please sign up for our American Red Cross Blood Donor Team. 